Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Programmatic. My name is Michael Doeys and it's been a little while since we've recorded one of these, but we are back with another episode and I feel like this is going to be a very controversial episode and people have a lot of different opinions on this, but I think it's important to talk about. And because it's such a big topic to discuss, I felt like I should bring an expert on the topic of accessibility. And I'm here with Taylor Arndt today. So hi, Taylor. Hi, Michael. Yeah, thanks for being here. And Yeah, no Taylor, problem. Taylor, why don't you let our listeners know what your background is and, and, and talk about, uh, uh, you know, what your career has been in programming and, and specifically, you know, what you've focused on over the past couple of years. And then that'll lead into what our topic is today. Yeah, so like Michael said, I'm Taylor Arndt, and I currently live in Austin, Texas. I've been in the digital accessibility space for over six years. I started at a university in Michigan called Western Michigan University. I was there for about three to four years doing accessibility as a student worker. And then in 2020, I lost my job. After that, I became self-employed, and I did accessibility for corporations and governments and a whole bunch of other small businesses. And then in 2021, I got a job at a accessibility audit firm in, it was in Minnesota by work remote. And so I did that for about a year. And then right now, as of May 1st, I am a freelance, self-employed, accessibility consultant. So I focus on web, but I also focus on mobile. And I have been doing programming since I was about 14 years old. When my great friend Brandon Tyson introduced me to programming. So that's kind of my backstory. Fantastic. Well, this, uh, you know, your what you just talked about is kind of why, uh, well, you're going to be on a lot more, right? Yeah. But the, and and the programmatic podcast folks will be coming back more often. So our, we were looking for some good content because I felt like we were talking too much about the basics and we'll continue to do some of that. The 11 lab stuff, we're going to try to come up with a new solution for having the code read out loud. So we'll have more programming challenges and things like that in the future. This episode is a little bit different uh, today compared to other episodes that we've done. But I felt like it's important because too often a lot of people go out and they build apps and they get counted off when people audit their apps for accessibility. And the reason is, is because it's when people audit apps, they treat it as a website. And we all know that web, that websites and mobile apps are very different things. Different information is presented in a mobile app differently from a web page. Exactly. There are items that are in a mobile app that are done a certain way to fit better on a small screen or on a tablet. And Taylor, let me let me ask you this, uh, because actually I've never even thought about this. How are desktop applications audited? Are they audited the same as a website or how is that handled compared to a mobile app? That's a great question, Michael. So the answer to that question is it depends. Of course, that's a very vague answer. And what I mean by it depends is, of course, if you're working for one of the big accessibility companies, they're going to have their own set of standards. But generally, yes, a desktop app is audited the same way as a 
mobile, sorry, a website, meaning that every desktop app must follow WCAG, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, or if you're working in government context, Section 508. And so really, the standards are the same for practically everything. And so, you know, yes, it's really the same in terms of auditing desktop apps. Now, of course, like I said, if you're working for a big company or you're dealing with a big company for auditing, then they may have their own procedures. But in general, best practice in the industry currently is you use WCAG for practically everything. So I'm I'm curious, you know, because WCAG, if people are not familiar, stand for Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Yes. And I, I, the, the key word is at the beginning, web. Yep. Websites. Now, there are certain apps. You know, the funny thing is, is that this actually does apply to certain desktop apps. It does. And which yep. ones would you imagine those apply to? So these apply to, for example, if you've got like Electron, so think about Visual Studio Code, think about Slack, think about Microsoft Teams, all those where they have a web baseline. Yep, that's exactly where I was going with that. So it does apply in those areas, right? Uh-huh. So that's that's one thing to keep in mind. Now, if you're building a Windows application and you have a, a menu bar and a toolbar, you know, a lot of those things do apply, but there are certain areas where, you know, certain frameworks, certain uh, operating systems may prevent you from having accessibility. And I don't know that people think about that, right? Mm -hmm. So certain operating systems and certain devices may not even let you have a dark mode. Think about that, right? Yeah. So then you would have to be tasked with building one into your app. And that's really a burden for developers. Because, like, think about this. If you're a developer and you're very new to it, like, for me, I'm building this Markdown Editor, right? Let's imagine for just one second that Windows does not have dark mode. Well, how hard would it be for me to build a dark mode into my app? And how many developers would actually do it? Right. And, okay, here's just a prime example. We all have, in, in the accessibility space, we've all heard of this little device called the Blind Shell Classic 2. Oh, yeah. For folks that may not be in the developer or in the accessibility space or use screen readers and things like that, this is an Android phone that uh, has its own app system, an app catalog. It does not work with Google Play. You cannot set dark mode for Android apps. So uh, Zoom and all these other apps that are in light mode, that's what you're going to be stuck with. There is no possible way of adding that accessibility in to allow for a dark mode with Android. So that's just one example. It's not a necessarily a, you know, a stop ship, but it is one example where if, if somebody were to audit on a blind shell classic two, they could make an exception for, any app that is an Android app. Am I wrong? You are not wrong, Michael. Again, a lot of these companies, if you're working with a big company, have a very rigorous process for making exceptions, right? Because they will only make exceptions if there is really no way to do it. And, you know, maybe even then they will not make an exception. But generally, if the expert that you're working with is adept in the development community and also the accessibility community, they will realize that Android, you cannot do this uh, this dark mode. 
Well, and, and that's kind of the big thing is, is that they may think, well, Android, uh, because Android does allow for dark mode, right? Right, but this version, sorry. This, this version of Android does not. So I guess they would have to write an exception based on this device. Is that how that would work? You know, again, like I said, it all depends on the company. So I'll just take my company, for example, because I do accessibility audits. So in this case, what I would do is, yes, I would write an exception. I'd say, because this is a blind shell classic, this blind shell classic does not have the ability to do dark mode. As a result, an exception is going to have to be granted, and I'll have some language that will go along with that. Now, will, will most companies do that? Mm, depends. I would say majority will not because they don't know. First off, they don't know what a blind shell classic is. And second off, they don't really know about development because a lot of these accessibility professionals don't have a development background. Or their development background is web. Is that correct? You know, that is a really good part of that because the thing is that when I worked at my previous employer, a lot of my colleagues literally were at a web development boot camp and they got hired right on the spot at that company. And a lot of them had web development experience. I was actually one of the only employees who had mobile. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we were talking about desktop apps and, and mobile apps, but, you know, one of the things that we, we really wanted to focus on is is the technicalities of these things. So if if I have a mobile app and I'm using something like Swift UI or if I'm using uh, storyboards and um and, and I'm using or or I'm using Kotlin with um, Jetpack Compose or Flutter or things like that. You know, there are all kinds of ways that you could present content on the screen with images and things like that. And the general practice for web, as my understanding goes, is that anytime there's an image, you want to be able to tab to that image. Yes. Unless it's decorative. Now. Right. My definition that I understand of decorative is a background image, something behind text that just adds background. Is there any other definition on the web for a uh, decorative image? So, again, like I've been saying, it depends on the company. So, because I am familiar with my company, because I make the standards, my definition is basically... There are a couple things, right? So first off, it's anything that's not visually, you know, sorry, that's anything that's like there for visual appeal, like, you know, decorations on the page, you know, or a background image, right? Or even like something that is like a um, icon that's just redundant, right? You want to make sure that you use Aria and get rid of that, right? Hide it. If it's going to cause clutter, right? I guess, you know, the thing is that anything that's going to clutter up the screen reader is needing to be hidden. But if it's really important, like, for example, if it's a, you know, image of, I don't know, let's say it's a group image of Michael and I, and, you know, we'll say if we got all the Techopolis developers together, of course, that would not be decorative because that's part of the page. And so really anything that's, you know, for visual appeal is my understanding and what I say needs to be hidden because for the screen reader user, it's going to be very confusing. So I guess another question with that is, if you have a home, um, a picture of a house with the, with the word home next to it, would the image be decorative on the web? What is its context? Like uh, a link to go to the homepage. Um, 
I mean, yeah, it depends. Like I said, because if, if it's already going to be displayed somewhere else, why do you want to show the image and then have a redundant thing below it saying home? I'm just kind of trying to picture this in my brain. You know, so you don't want to have it like redundant because that'll just be confusing. So if it's a picture of a home, that's great. But, you know, it all depends. Like, is that home supposed to represent like a home for sale or if it's just a home page? then, you know, you already get that context. So in my opinion, if it's just a visual appeal, we can hide that. That makes sense. So I guess in this kind of case, uh, you know, if, if if the image is to, I guess, maybe, okay, should, should the user even know, like, okay, say it's in the menu and you have home and then you have, um, say it's a, 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 um say you're say you're doing a a mobile app, or, or let me rephrase say you're doing a menu that has a picture like an icon before each of the menu items and the icon is just a picture representation of what the menu item is and the menu item is completely accessible but the they are doing you know uh uh, using ARIA to hide the image from the screen reader. Would that be acceptable on a web page? Again, it all depends on the person. In my opinion, yes, because why do we want to clutter up the screen reader? Some people will say, show it. But again, that could create more problems because it's going to be more stuff for the keyboard. In terms of keyboard users, so for people who have to rely on just the keyboard, Absolutely not. We need to get rid of it because that will make more tap stops, which will then make it harder for them to use the keyboard to get where they want. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And I I just, I, and I think that's kind of the same in a mobile app because, uh, you know, there are times where we have lists and, and things like that um, where we have an image and, and the text. But at the same time, I, I'm wondering, you know, is, is there a difference? Should do you feel like there are places in a mobile app where the images should be hidden, where from a screen reader, where you know, on a website, they should be described more? Um, it's kind of a hard question. I think I understand what you're saying, and the answer is, well, it all depends on what's going on. I mean, really, you want to follow the most widely accepted practices, like I was just saying, for mostly, you know, web and mobile. Of course, there may be exceptions. And what I'd say is all apps are not created equally. And sometimes there must be exceptions to be granted because you you can't really have a one-size-fits-all solution. And so I'd say really not, but again, it all depends on what's going on. Yeah, I think it kind of depends on does it's left up to interpretation of really the auditor and the developer to remediate that. Because I feel like it's, if the image um, has any use of, of displaying information and that information yes. is not being conveyed by an accessibility places, label yeah. or text, right? Yeah. So really the rule is if it's an image that is important to the sequence of the app, like for example, I'll just Think of like a real estate app because we're talking about home. So home just came up to me. Let's say we're talking about like, for example, something like Zillow. If you just have a icon of a home, right, but then you don't show it, or maybe it's a picture of a home, then how's that going to be helpful? Because, you know, the picture of a home is going to be hidden from screen readers. 
wouldn't a screen reader user want to know what the home looks like that they're going to potentially buy? So in that case, you want to have alt text or you want to, you know, have an accessibility label in mobile. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the here's the other question. If you have an image with uh, visible text, do Ugh. you want do you? Well, say you have an image with vis visible text on top of the image, and that's done a lot in different websites and apps. Do you want the text to be read separately from the image, like two different tab stops or two different flicks or in the same flick? So you get the image description and the text speak, because I think personally I would want both at the same time because I they're both too. related. Yeah. So the really the key thing with that is you want to make sure it's easy for people to follow the relationships. And actually, I was talking about this today with my uh, school, right? Because I'm going to accounting school. And they were talking about tables, how they were inaccessible. And of course, you know, that's kind of a problem in accounting because you've got all these tables. And of, of course, Michael, I'm getting off topic, but you're going to see why I'm talking about this in a second. So, of course, we're talking about, okay, how are things related? Because imagine if I had a whole bunch of numbers. Like, let's say I had Apple stocks. I'm just making up stuff. And I had, I don't know, earnings by quarter, earnings by year, overall stuff. But let's say it was just a whole bunch of numbers and I didn't know what was what. You know how confusing that would be for me? Instead, if it's saying that, it would say something like, you know, year to date. It would have a table header and it would, you know, say all that stuff. That'd be a lot easier. And so, like Michael was saying, we want everything in one flick or tab stop so that way it conveys the relationship easier. Yeah. So I think when it comes to images and, and specifically starting with that this time, you really do want to stick with the same similar things with uh with with websites now yes. i think it comes a little differently when you're talking about a table view and a list when you're going through list items in with voiceover okay uh let, let's take social media actually for this this is a great example of this okay um there so typically when you're looking at a timeline on social media you have a a profile picture which drives me crazy because most of our community of the blind and visually impaired on low vision on Mastodon never puts profile pictures. I in. think I'm guilty of this. Yes, you are. <laughs> one of your accounts does. One of them doesn't. And okay. as a low vision user, I could just quickly usually look at a picture and be like, oh, that's so-and-so. I don't have to read the name with a screen reader. And it's very interesting when you think about that. That's a whole conversation we could have on like the IA cast or some other podcast. But yeah. I can, with low vision, I can quickly look at the picture faster than I can read the text of the person's name. And that's kind of interesting. But I can quickly look at the picture, then read the name, and then we get the text and the other buttons. But I think that, um, you know, by technicality, you would want to get, uh, you know, so-and-so's profile picture as something that is readable. But at the same time, is that decorative? Because no, you're not going to be able to get the description of that image. So knowing the person's name with a screen reader is really enough to know, hey, you know, maybe image of person name would be the more accessible, you know. Yes. Or, or not image of because you're not supposed to use that as alt text. But yeah, you're not. No. So maybe just uh, the person's name being a description of the profile image would be enough, you know. Because if you had to yeah. hear the, if you were going through and you had to hear an alt text of every profile image on a timeline, that would take forever to go through, right? Yeah. So again, that's one of those times where a decorative is fine 
in that case. So in a list view, even though that is that is that could be important information, it's one of those times where I think that discretion is needed so that the user can get the information they need and not see every, you know, get a, a text of each uh, profile picture. Yeah. And then, you know, when we compare like Twitter or X and threads, you know, with Twitter, we get one swipeable object for each post. Whereas like threads, we have to go name, time. Uh, That's annoying. Uh, content, each button. And then you go to profile picture, name, time, content. Yeah, that's a, and I, I think there's more flicks than that. So it's one of those things. Threads in that fashion is technically accessible, and they, and that is more accessible, but it's not very usable, right? Yes. So that's kind of the, the little bit of a difference because on a website you could jump to information. You know, if somebody uses headings, it's a lot easier. You can use headings on VoiceOver as well, but you know, it's just the efficiency of getting through the information. What's accessible, what's usable, in my my opinion, is what matters there. So that, that's kind of my thought on images. It just, on a mobile app, especially compared to, you know, a website everybody is expected, on a desktop website, everybody's expected to, to know, okay, it's going to take me a while to go through all of my Gmail, right? So that kind of stuff, it's just expected on a desktop to take a while. But on a mobile you don't mobile device. You don't have the space. You don't have no. You do not the time. You don't have. It's a quick. You know, get in, get out. So I think apps on a mobile device are slightly different as far as images and how that's handled. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like what I've explained, or, or anything that you want to add on that? Yeah, I was waiting for you to be finished. <laughs> so I really agree with what Michael says. You know, again, it's all about the context, folks. It's not a one-size cookie-cutter solution. You know, you can't just say, oh, for everything, do this, right? Accessibility is all about analyzing the situation. And I think that's what a lot of things and people don't realize is accessibility is all about analyzing the situation. What is better in this situation and what will work for the user? And there is a difference between usable and accessible. And that's something that's very important to understand. Yeah, so let's go ahead and... and move on to another area and and that's headings oh good goodness <laughs> yeah yeah we we've got some some headings, uh, headings to talk about here <laughs> and yeah. between websites and mobile apps so this is kind of a big one that we discovered when you were auditing vo starter yes and it was michael why are you starting with a heading level 2 on on your web content in the web pages Right. Mm -hmm. And the, my, my reasoning for doing that is technically the top of the navigation bar in an app, I believe should be can, considered a heading, heading level one. Yeah. You know, I mobile, did too. I just didn't see it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mobile apps do not have heading levels. Uh-uh. Does Android Michael? Because I was told that Android did. I believe it might, but iOS does not. I haven't looked on Android in quite some time, but I do believe Android does. And in that case, you do want to use the heading levels properly, right? Yep. But on iOS, you know, it does not. So I, if I'm using web content, I always consider the top heading to be your heading level one and every heading below that to be a heading level two, three, or four, respectively, you know, depending on what framework you're using, web or Swift. Um, 
what are your thoughts on this? You know, again, like I said, it's all about using your judgment, right? Because you want to talk with a developer. And I think, you know, that's what a lot of accessibility companies are missing, where you can literally collaborate with the developers to make their apps accessible. So just because, you know, one developer is like, oh, I did this because of X. Great to know. And then what I do with that is I take that into consideration. I'm like, okay, he did that. You know, this is his reasoning. And then I think about, is this reasoning applicable to the standards? Will it meet the, you know, the standards? And I'm like, okay, yes, that will work. And sometimes I'm like, no, unfortunately, what you said, it's great, but we need to adjust X, Y, or C. And so that's what I think is the thing is that I wouldn't have known Michael's reasoning had I not asked him the question like, hey, why'd you do this? And that's why I so think that collaborating with developers when you're doing an audit is paramount. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and I think it's interesting. We have an interesting dynamic because I'm more on the developer and design side of things and Taylor's more on the accessibility side. She's starting to develop more apps and do things like that. So it's a great conversation to be had. You know, headings is one, you know, one area where it's always very tricky, you know, and in, in yes. making sure that people get the right concepts and do the right things. And what I also generally say about headings is just because iOS does not have the proper headings, you still want to use them correctly. So what I mean by that is you want to have the main navigation bar heading, right? And then if there's a significant subsection in your app, I don't know, let's say that there was like, let's say the iAccessibility app was structured a little bit differently. Let's say it was like all one tab. Oh gosh, Michael, don't do this. But let's say, for example, the first tab we had recent podcasts. And then the second tab we had, sorry, second heading we had contact us. And third heading we had, I don't know, about the team. I'm just making up stuff at this point. You want to use headings for significant sections of the app. And no, you don't want to use headings to bold your text. So people who are listening, don't use headings to bold text either on mobile or web. Just don't do it because it will be very bad and inaccessible. Use headings as headings, not as bold indicators. Just a little PSA. Yeah, I think that's very important is <laughs> is, yeah. is knowing when and when not to use uh, uh, headings. Yes. It, it's very, um, I guess it's very, uh, it, it's easy to do. It's easy to think, oh, I can just use a heading to make this bold. No. Don't There's proper proper ways to do that. And in fact, iOS has like different styles of text you can use. Good to know. So there is a heading style, there is a body style, and there is a, you know, uh, headline style. Like there's so many. And the reason why they do that, they're called dynamic types. And so as you change the text size on your device, those will scale properly with your content. That's Good actually an accessibility feature, believe it or not. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about kind of the the last thing I had in mind to talk about, and that's audio. And the differences between audio on the web and audio in devices. We know that if something is over three seconds, do not autoplay. It just shouldn't be done, right? Yes. But there's another caveat I feel like on mobile devices that's not really considered on web. If I'm playing an audiobook, or if I'm playing, you know, a if I'm playing music or radio, or maybe I'm listening to something important, like in in uh, in an app, 
it should be and is, in my mind, an accessibility violation if your app comes up and initiates what's called an audio session before it is ne- the audio is needed to be played. YouTube and Twitter or X does this all the time to try to get things loaded faster for autoplay of video. I, I feel like that is an accessibility violation because maybe you do have something important on that you're playing and these apps just steal the audio for their own use. Yeah. Um, sorry, Michael. I'm not sure if you're done. No, go ahead. So again, it's really not written in the standards, right? But it really should be because audio should not be taken from one place to be played in another. And you shouldn't steal the audio session to go then play it somewhere else. And I think that is a very important thing that really should be addressed. And it's not. And so if you're watching this and you're an auditor, if you're auditing mobile apps, make sure you can, you know, look at that because you want to make sure that this app isn't just going to steal people's audio when they're doing something else. Yeah, if you're a programmer, so, please please make sure that you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and it's very easy to do because a lot of programmers like to say, okay, if I go to this screen, I'll just set up this audio session. No, set up the audio session when the person presses the play button or the watch video button or anything like that. Yes. And that way you can make sure that you are not going to interrupt audio until you're ready to do so. Exactly. So to kind of, as our, as our final topic here, Taylor, do you feel like the, because I, I really feel like there is, there, there are several differences, you know, between how certain images should be laid out and spoken and, and viewed in an app. Compared, oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about buttons. Let's go to that real quick. I was going to say, um, we're missing a couple of crucial aspects, Michael. Mm-hmm. Buttons yes. and links. You know, we shouldn't have links in mobile apps, but that's all. Well, we should have links in mobile apps, but they should be links. So they should look like links that have an underlined text, like if it's yeah. in the middle. And like an, I would call that an inline link. But right? not fake links, as I call it. We're right. just links to like, mm-hmm. yeah. So a button can be a button. And a button, a button is typically a, uh, by Apple standards, a blue accented text button. They don't really put an outline. They don't really do any of that anymore. You could turn on button shapes and outlines, but they look very similar to links. And so I think a lot of companies really consider them as links, even though they should be buttons. Same as list items. You know, a, a list item is a scrollable list of dynamic items that can be acted upon. A good example of that is like the iAccessibility app or the uh, any any podcast app where you're picking from a list of episodes or Apple News, right? Those should not be considered links, but they are buttons. And, and Taylor, do you want to talk about that, like how other companies look at that kind of content? Oh, yes, I can. I won't give any names, folks, because I don't want to do that. But I will just say, I know of some companies who literally think that, how do I explain this, Michael? Like, if you go to a new page, you know, that's great. That should be a, not even a button. What do we call it? Like a clickable thingy? Like, what do we call that? Well, they could be buttons or or like navigation links or, uh, yeah, right. usually but buttons. Saying, or. Yeah. But I'm saying they shouldn't be like... They shouldn't have buttons on them. You know those buttons that you click, they don't have the word button in them, but they're like, like, uh, list items can do that. List items, but they believe that, like, you should only use buttons in certain occasions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You you shouldn't have an app full of buttons. 
Gotcha. So they're saying that if you're if you are going to a next thing, it should not be a button. Right. So if you're using a, a navigable item that can cause you to go from one screen to the next, it should not be a button object or view. Yes. So what are your thoughts on all of that? I don't like that because in my opinion, if I'm going through an app, I want to know that something's going to click because I could just assume that it's going to go to the next thing, right? But how do I know? And so buttons are really crucial to understand how this app is laid out and to understand what I need to do. And also, what if I can't move on? Then sometimes they're not even like grayed out or AKA dimmed for screen readers. And then I wonder why I can't move forward. Very important to make sure that we can fix that. Yeah, but I think it's important to not just lump everything into the term of, you know, some companies consider mobile apps uh, a navigable item to should be a link. That might be the case on the web, but not yeah. in not in a mobile app. And I think that's the thing. Like some of these companies, folks, come from a web mentality. And so I think one of the things is if you are a developer and you want a company, right, finding one that knows mobile and preferably has mobile developers on staff is probably your best bet because that way you get mobile tailored suggestions. Yeah, see, that needs to be your slogan, tailored accessibility by Taylor Arndt. Uh, okay. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I mean, what I say is like, you know, having developers who are on staff who understand mobile and who can give you code level recommendations and who also know mobile so that they won't give you recommendations like everything shouldn't be an actionable button or whatever I just said a minute ago. I don't even know because it's so bad. I forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, buttons, list items, headings, images, all of these things really need to be, uh, to, you know, thought about in comparing things between mobile and web. Is there any other things that I'm missing, Taylor, that you want to bring up? Again, always captions, transcripts, you know, got to make sure you have your captions. Got to make sure you have transcripts for audio. Um, also, you know, making sure that I'm just trying to list out everything I know. You know, if you're going to go to a web page, make sure that you link it properly, like within a link that goes out to Safari or asking the user for the browser. But really, that's all I can think about. Of course, color contrast, Michael. We got to think about color contrast with mobile. Of course, we talked about dark mode earlier, but is there any other color contrast stuff? Well, I think with mobile, you really want to follow the, the WCAG standards on that. Uh, just as you would, I think the... The biggest things we wanted to focus on are the exceptions to the rules. Yeah, I just I wanted think to cover we, all the bases. Kind of did. I'm sure there's others that we didn't really go through, but I think this has been the longest episode of programmatic we've ever recorded. Yeah, I'm super pumped about it. And if you have any feedback or you want to tell me something, you know, maybe that I didn't think about, you know, feel free to give us feedback. Mm -hmm. So in all all of that to say. I think this has been a great episode of programmatic. We're going to be back for more and, you know, just keep this in mind. Pro programming needs to be a creative and artistic uh, uh, career and, and hobby. And it doesn't need to be something that you stress out over accessibility. So having good practices as you begin programming will really help you out in the long run. It's also good to know somebody that like Taylor you know, in my case, I say, hey, I finished an app like VF Starter, go audit it. And I pay her some money and boom, you know, here's the problems. Okay, fix them. So that's all very useful. You know, getting that stuff done from the start is very useful. So, yeah, uh, 
you know, we don't want to go too far in the realm of accessibility on this podcast as you know, we want it to be for all uh, viewers, but I wanted to bring this up because it was something we were talking about at dinner. It's like, you know what? We need to record an episode about this. So, um, yeah, this is going to do it for this episode of programmatic. We'll be back soon with another episode. Taylor, how can people find you online? So you can find me on Mastodon at T A Y A R N D T at techopolis, T E C H O P O L I S dot social. I'm also on X at T-A-Y-A-R-N-D-T. And I'm on YouTube as well at uh, Taylor. Well, actually, the username is still Taylor, so T-A-Y-A-R-N-D-T. If you literally just search my name, I'm sure you'll be able to find me. And of course, I also work with Techopolis as well. Mm -hmm. So you can find me on Mastodon at Mike Doeys at Techopolis.social. You can find me on X at Mike Doeys. You can find me all over the web. Just search for Michael Doeys. You'll be able to find me. If you want to email me about the content today, you can email me at mikedoeys at iCloud.com. I'll get back to you, and we may talk about it on the next show. So thank you so much. I want to make this more of an interactive show in the future. So if you have any questions or programming uh, questions and things like that, let me know. I would love to be able to help out with that. And until next time, enjoy programming and make something awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye.